fun time is over for just a little bit, so it's back to the normal grind. And what are we going to talk about this week? Well, the healthcare issue has taken a forefront yet again. So let's see where the issue stands as we speak and tackle that a little bit. There's also, of course, catching up with the last two weeks in which I've had to do shorter episodes. So there's all this and more coming up. Tighten your seatbelts and get ready because this is Fritzcast. It's Monday, June 26th, 2017. And welcome everybody to, yes, another back-to-full-fledged firing of the Fritzcast. As I like to say, how are you all doing? It is, can you believe it's almost like one month down for summer? Can you Can you believe that? I have a very hard time believing that my birthday was literally a month ago. And we're almost entering July. That time has this crazy thing with it where it can seem like it's not moving at all. And then before you know it, you've passed a couple months by, like, like, blink of an eye, almost. It's kind of crazy. I say that because uh, the over the weekend, you know, of course, with the rare weekend off, uh, that doesn't happen much anymore in corrections life, not in the state of Delaware, at least anyway. But one of the perks I get for being a field training officer, a, a position which has offered me no more money, uh, nothing except building up a, a resume and a reputation. One of the perks I get is getting that day shift assignment, getting a couple weekends off. In this case, it's a four-day weekend, so I'm I'm on my third day off. Tomorrow will also be a day off, and then Wednesday, back to the... Well, I think I'm working a double Wednesday, but it, it'll be back to the 4 to 12 grind, uh, which is becoming, you know, increasingly tiring, increasingly... Frustrating because I'm a 28-year-old man who just, you know, is tired of it, done with it, wants a little normalcy in his life, and is working on it slowly but surely. But the beautiful thing is we went down to Fenwick Island, Delaware for a beach day. Well, really like a beach night slash day slash morning, if that (laughs) makes any sense. We went down Friday night. After I got off of work, we settled some things, got some food to take with us, shot on down to Fenwick Island, which is at like the very teeny tiny bottom of Delaware uh, before you enter Maryland. Uh, It's about like 20 minutes away from Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and roughly 15 to 20 minutes from Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, Now, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, not really the family spot. Uh, Everybody goes there. Bunch of teenagers go there. Bunch of young adults go there. Uh, same thing with Ocean City, Maryland. It's more like a, that's where you go to drink. That's where you go to drink and be drunk at the beach. Uh, Wildwood, New Jersey is an example of family beach. Like, you go there, you're going to see lots of families there. You're going to see lots of little kids there. And for the most part, you're not going to have a lot of shenanigans going on because it's a family spot. 
I don't like Rehoboth Beach. I don't like. I hate Rehoboth Beach. Delaware beaches, in my humble opinion, suck. But that's my humble opinion. I don't think they're that great. They're the talk of the town in Delaware. Everybody loves going to the beach in Delaware. I don't know why. I don't. I don't really get it. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Uh, Friday afternoon, Friday around five o'clock, six o'clock, you start going down to the beach, and traffic on Route One, on State Route One, will be backed the hell up forever because everybody's trying to go to Rehoboth. We ended up going to Fenwick Island because the the hotel that we found that was cheap. And by cheap, I mean like cheaper than the rest. Still kind of expensive. But the hotel that we found was cheap was on Fenwick Island, which is past Rehoboth Beach. And it was actually nice. It was this nice little beachy, islandy town that, yeah, there was people there, but it wasn't overwhelming uh, it wasn't overwhelmingly burdened with people. Uh, there was a lot less in comparison to going to like Rehoboth Beach where everybody and their brother's there. Uh, of course, there's no boardwalks there. There's nothing fancy at Fenwick Island, but it's a nice fallback. And so we spent some time at the beach just laying around. I've been reading my book, The Killer Angels, which is about the Battle of Gettysburg. If you've seen the film Gettysburg, the source material for it was, well, besides the actual war itself, it was The Killer Angels, uh, which so far has been a great book. I think I'm 170-some-odd pages in, maybe 200 pages in, uh, about halfway done, the book. And I would suggest reading it, because right around the corner is 4th of July, and Gettysburg was July 1st through July 3rd. But in any case, it was nice to just lay down on the beach. I mean, you don't really do anything at the beach other than maybe jump in the ocean. Otherwise, what are you really doing? You're lazing about. Maybe you get a drink. I didn't even get a drink. You laze about and you just enjoy being in the sun and having like ocean breeze. Even sitting in your hotel room and going to the hotel pool. It's it's just it's a change of scenery number 1 and number 2 you're not really worried or caring about anything. You're not I always say you should love your home and I do love my home. One of the things I really do love is sitting in this office. If I can get a better desk that'd be great. The desk isn't so hot. Uh but now that I have this brand new computer that works beautifully, uh this is like my this is my zone. I sit in my office, I record my podcast here. Sometimes I come in here and write a lot of the blog posts you read are, are written right here in this very office. It's my sacred space. I've got Star Wars posters. I have all these uh, Funko Pop bobbleheads surrounding me. All these intricate little, you know, knick-knack type things surrounding me. It's my office. It's it's a place of central thinking, you know. My backyard the same way. I have a hammock. I have zero-gravity chairs, you know, and it's just nice to go out by the fire pit just lay lay out and about and be somewhere. But when you're away from home, there's just something about, like, even when you're at home, even in your relaxing places and all that, there's this underlying feeling of, you know, oh, what, where's my money going? What bills do I have to pay today? You know, what, what's going on around here? You have these little reminders of, like, everything laying about. 
On vacation, you don't have any of those reminders. On vacation, you're just like, I'm somewhere else, and I don't care. And it's a nice, refreshing course. And as usual, I will tell you, it wasn't nearly long enough. Because when I go back to work on Wednesday, I can guarantee you I will be loathing it. Loathing it. But there is good news on that front. For Delaware Corrections uh, employees, we've been having this big... I don't want to say fight with the state. It hasn't really been a fight. But I've talked about the story, the the February 1st takeover, which saw the murder of Sergeant Stephen Floyd. There's been lots of problems with the Delaware Department of Correction that's been going on for years and years and years, and staffing's always one of them. Well, finally, we got a step in the right direction. Uh, I th- It was a, a $7,000 pay increase that was voted... Unanimous, well, not unanimously. I shouldn't say that, but it was voted in by the uh, by the body. So I had to vote on Monday, just last week, or I had to vote some day last week. I forget what day it was. We were voting on a seven thousand dollar pay increase to our base salaries, uh, and immediately July first, this July first, four thousand some odd dollars of that immediately goes into effect which is a great boost to everybody who's been in the department working at the wage that it's been at. People people probably don't know. When I say corrections officers in, in, in the state of Delaware and all that, they're probably thinking, oh, that, well, they make, you know, $45,000, $50,000. No. Correctional officers starting off in Delaware made like $32,000. $32,000, and chances are you are one of the many people who were assigned to work a level 5 institution, level 5 institutions being institutions that house your murderers, your rapists, your your child sexual charges, uh, some big heavy deals, and the starting salary was 32, somewhere between 32 and $35,000 kind of pathetic if you ask me if you ask me but that's beside the point pay increase for the state of Delaware maybe that'll bring in some some good applicants and the staffing issues can go down uh, because James T. Vaughn still has some horrible staffing issues I, I don't remember the exact number but a couple weeks ago they needed some somewhere along the lines of like Somewhere between five and eight hundred, five hundred to eight hundred overtime positions to operate, which is kind of nuts. And James T. Vaughn houses people who have you know life in prison, among other things. So that's going on. That that's that 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 was one of the big things that happened in Delaware over the past couple of weeks. Another thing that's ongoing in Delaware that they're debating. And if you ask me, they just need a they just need a bite the bullet and go with it. Uh, it's a big debate going on with uh, marijuana legalization. Not just medically, but full-on legalization. Which I've been saying from the start should be really a no-brainer. Should be a no-brainer considering the state of Delaware has some somewhere between 200 and $400 million in a gap that they don't know how they were going to fund. And they retooled and retweaked budgets and made cuts 
or proposed cuts rather, a lot of it still being ironed out. Delaware is a good example. I think Delaware is a good case study for people who want to look at politics, taxation, how the government spends money. Because, I mean, Delaware is a perfect example of a failing system. Always constantly coming up short on the money somehow. Always wanting to raise taxes. Right now, Delaware is voting to raise property taxes, income taxes, and there's even talk and consideration for a sales tax, which Delaware prided itself on being a tax-free shopping zone, drawing in consumers from Pennsylvania, from Maryland, from New Jersey, even from New York. Like, the outlying area, if somebody has to drive two hours, the beach thing was another thing. The beaches in Delaware, so much tourism, and we don't have sales tax. That brings in a lot of... uh, that brings in a lot of money, helps the economy out, but we don't have sales tax. It is what it is. Delaware doesn't have sales tax. It suffers on... it. it everybody wants to think it's cushy and great, but the income taxes and the property taxes are on the higher end of the spectrum anyway. So, yeah, you're not, you're not facing a sales tax, but you're facing so many other taxes that it's a little bit ridiculous. And in all that, it's hard to see a state still dragging its feet on marijuana legalization. I say, go for it. All right, I just for an example, just to get the argument out there because there's a lot of stigma around marijuana. I drink. Uh, I I have you know Jack Daniel's whiskey is one of my favorite things on the face of the earth. I drink Jack Daniels. I drink beer. All right. Um, alcohol is a dangerous drug. Alcohol is the legal drug, yet it is the one that when you withdraw from it, you could die. Okay. Alcohol is a killer. Having worked in a prison, I've seen people locked up on alcohol who withdraw, and it is the worst withdrawal ever. Okay. You can withdraw off of heroin just fine, you can withdraw off of cocaine just fine. I mean, it's 72 hours of of pain and suffering and hell, but alcohol withdrawal can actually kill a man, okay? And alcohol withdrawal does crazy things to people. I've seen people withdrawing on alcohol, swearing up and down that they've seen rats crawling out of the toilets and uh, things coming out of the wall. Not to mention the fact that your vitals could just tank. You could just... Up and stop. Now, I'm sure withdrawal from any drug can possibly do that. But alcohol is the worst. Alcohol is the worst. Yet, that is the legal one. Okay? Alcohol can totally intoxicate somebody to the point where they're mad, stupid, drunk. They go drive a car, plowed into somebody, and end up killing somebody or themselves. But that's the legal one. Why aren't we just why why aren't we just legalizing weed? I don't I that's what I don't understand. If somebody wants to sit at home and become a little pothead, go ahead. All right? It seems like a rather boring life to me to sit around, smoke pot and eat lots of Doritos. I know that's stereotypical, but shut up. If that's what people want to do. I mean, all they're doing is getting high, all right? It's no different than all the people who are out there getting drunk. At the end of the day. In fact, I would suggest a high person is probably a little more chill. Okay? We can bring up the, you know, oh, zombie eating face, but 
that guy was a kook. Okay, unless we're going to do some kind of random randomized testing to see if you're mentally competent enough to drink or smoke pot. At which point I would argue you're you're asking for way too much. Unless we're going to do that, let's just shut up. Legalize weed. Tax it for all I care. Yeah, libertarian saying just tax it, tax it for all I care. Uh it's not a, it's not really a forced tax you're choosing to buy marijuana so we could tax it because you're choosing to buy it. it's not a necessity uh, unless it was a medical necessity then let's not tax it if it was a medical necessity uh you see, you see where i'm going with this you can you can draw lots of different conclusions and stuff for that you know if it was for healthcare speaking of healthcare though isn't that the hot topic again isn't it funny how like it it comes in waves it's it's at the height of everything, and then it disappears for a little bit, and then it's back at the height of everything. Healthcare is on the Senate floor yet again, and it's becoming it's becoming another hot topic um, going on between. Well, I mean, the Republicans now. Everybody has everybody has a, a view on the healthcare thing, and we've talked about it too. I've talked about how. It doesn't. Uh, it, it's hard for me to make sense of it because it's so up and down. Obamacare, rather, for those of you out there, it's not Obamacare. It's the ACA. Yes, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, definitely not perfect. Definitely did cause some issues in the healthcare department. I think. I think anybody can agree with that. I think anybody can look at that and say, yeah. Um, Our system's a little jacked up right now. I'm looking at an article from The Hill by Christina Marcos and Jordan Carney, which says, quote, All eyes will be on the Senate this week as Majority Leader Mitch McConnell tries to pass a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare with no room for error. Sidebar, before I keep going. This repeal and replace bill that the GOP has, has put forward, which was put out a couple months ago uh, to much ire from Republicans themselves, oddly enough, because the bill isn't actually a repeal or replace bill. It keeps some of the same provisions. It changes a couple things up, and it dawdles it up as if the GOP came in to fix health care permanently. And really it's just taking the same frameworks, changing a couple core things, Stamping a GOP thing on it and saying, "Look, this is the healthcare bill now." I don't know why that was their choice, but that was their choice. Continuing on, quote the quote the Kentucky Republican is starting this week several votes short of the fifty he'll need with both conservatives and moderates demanding changes. Senator Dean Heller from Nevada became the fifth GOP senator to say he could not support the bill in its current form, citing concerns over Medicaid and a dramatic reshaping of the program. Quote, This bill is not the answer. It's simply not the answer, he said at a press conference in Nevada. Quote, This bill would mean a loss of coverage for millions of Americans. Heller is the most vulnerable GOP senator up for re-election in 2018 and an otherwise favorable map for his party. He's also one of a handful of moderates from states that expanded Medicare or Medicaid, sorry, under Obamacare. They've signaled concern that the GOP proposal would leave their many would leave many 
of their constituents, sorry, they wrote it wrong, they really need a proofreader, of their constituents unable to afford health insurance. There's a trifecta of senators. Well, not a trifecta, I shouldn't say that. There's some normal names that pop out that, that actually oppose this mainstream GOP approach to things. On the other side of McConnell's caucus, this article goes on to state, four conservatives, Senators Ted Cruz from Texas, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, Mike Lee of Utah, and Rand Paul of Kentucky, said last week that they also couldn't currently support the legislation. A, a joint statement from them said, quote, currently, for a variety of reasons, we are not ready to vote for this bill but we are open to negotiation and obtaining more information before it's brought to the floor. Now, as, a, as I am accustomed to on this program, and as you should always be accustomed to as well, I like going Rand Paul's route. I want to just play you this clip from Rand Paul over the whole thing. Well, you know, the fundamental flaw of Obamacare was that it added regulations to insurance mandates, which made insurance more expensive, but then it also told individuals, you know what, if you don't want to buy it now, you can wait and buy it after you're sick. That still remains. Ten of 12 regulations that add costs to insurance remain under the Republican bill, and we still say you can still buy insurance after you're sick. If you add those two together, you still get the death spiral. The Republican plan acknowledges that we're going to still have this death spiral, which is sicker and sicker people in the individual market and the healthy people don't buy insurance. They acknowledge this by putting over $100 billion of insurance bailout money to try to say, oh, we're going to tamp down prices. We're not going to fix the problem. We're going to acknowledge the problem will continue forever, and we're just going to pile taxpayer money into it. That is just not a conservative notion to add a so, new federal program to bail out insurance That companies. sounds like a fundamental structural flaw in the program that you're talking about. So is there no way you can get to a yes vote? Well, what we can do is, if they cannot get 50 votes, if they get to impasse, I've been telling leadership for months now that I will vote for a repeal, and it doesn't have to be a 100% repeal. So, for example, I'm for a 100% repeal. That's what I want. But if you offer me 90% repeal, I'd probably vote for it. I might vote for 80% repeal. What percent is it but now? Realize that this, realize, hey, just one second, realize that the Obamacare subsidies in this bill are actually greater under the Republican bill than they are under the current Obamacare law. That is not anywhere close to repeal. So you're a no right now. You're a no. Uh, this. <laughs> At this point, but I could vote if we get to impasse, if we go to a bill that is more repeal and less big government programs, yes, I'll consider partial repeal. So that means fewer subsidies, lower subsidies? It means more freedom. It means they have to legalize the sale of inexpensive insurance. Obamacare made it illegal to buy inexpensive insurance. If I have a 27-year-old guy and I don't want pregnancy coverage, I cannot buy an inexpensive policy. They price me out of the marketplace, and therefore I don't buy it at all, and that leads to the whole death spiral of Obamacare. All of that remains under this, and I'm not voting for something that looks just like Obamacare and still doesn't fix the fundamental flaw of Obamacare. You know what, like, Mitch McConnell's thinking, that damn Rand Paul, always a thorn in my side. And nobody really cares what Mitch McConnell thinks. He's an old fart that doesn't belong in Congress anymore. And I, for one, am thankful that there's people like Rand Paul and Mike Lee who will literally take a step back and, and try to weigh the bill on, on its merit, on its worth, and 
they're both saying right now that this bill is pretty worthless. So there's that. Now, the the next subject that I want to talk about, uh, sensitive subject for sure, considering the political environment, uh, Black Lives Matter protests, and uh, the the current political setting of, of that business. Uh, there was, of course, uh, what was his name? Officer Geronimo. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Geronimo Yanez the Minnesota police officer who fatally shot Philando Castile during a traffic stop last year. The, uh, of course, there was a big trial over that, and all eyes were on that. And then uh, last Friday, Officer Yanez was found not guilty of second-degree murder, or, or sorry, second-degree manslaughter on Friday and acquitted of two counts of intentional discharge of a firearm that endangered safety. It's cases like this, and I was discussing with somebody at work, actually. So, yeah, you know, people who are in law enforcement talk about law enforcement cases all the time just because. Uh, and I, the my buddy from work, he's definitely got a level head. Definitely thinks about these things. We found, we, we watched the traffic stop footage, number one, with the audio. And there's only, there, around the case, there's only two really bizarre things that we find. Uh, in, in terms of that, if you watch the traffic stop video, you'll hear Philando state to the officer, "I have a gun." That that's all he says. He's a citizen at a traffic stop informing the officer, "Hey, just so you know, I have a gun." That you know, that is exactly what you should do if you get pulled over by the police for whatever reason, whether it is visible on you or not. You state to the officer, hey, just so you know, just so you are aware, I have a, you know, 40 caliber handgun strapped here on my hip, or I have a 40 caliber handgun in my dash, or whatever. You tell them straight up. Absolutely. Officer Ines says, don't reach for it then. Okay. Fair enough. We have a, an order from the officer not to reach for the gun. Cool. Before Officer Yanez pulls out his gun and starts firing, I mean, you'll hear him shouting. You'll hear him shouting. You'll hear him saying, no, don't, stop, stop, stop. You'll hear, before even that happens, you'll hear the uh, the the wife, I believe it was, Oh, no, his girlfriend. You'll hear his girlfriend say, no, don't. That's kind of bizarre that she would yell, no, don't, before anything's even happened. Notwithstanding, we're going to move on from that odd bit. The only other odd thing that came out of this was the fact that the girlfriend live-casted on Facebook the, the aftermath, which... She seems very calm and collected for somebody who just witnessed her boyfriend being shot, more or less to death. Um, that nothing could have been done at that point after all those shots had been fired. Seven shots. I believe it was. Seven shots. Nothing could be done at that point to save that man's life, more than likely. Um, 
that being said, the, the fact that she was so calm in broadcasting and on Facebook Live was odd. It was bizarre to me. I When I watched it the first time a year ago, it was odd. I was really... I don't believe in false flag stuff. I don't believe in conspiracy theories. Watching the video made me think like is this some kind is this reality? Are you for real? That's that's how I felt. Okay, so it's odd. I'm wiping that out. After watching the video, what I came to the conclusion of and what a lot of people at work agree with me is you had a you had a police officer who literally jumped the gun. And ended up killing a man. And there's just question marks all around. Why did you do that? There was a child in the back seat of that car. Not to mention the fact the girlfriend sitting in the passenger side. So he pulls out the gun. Leans into the car, mind you. Everything that I've been taught as a law enforcement officer. Yes, granted, I work in a prison. And firearms are highly unlikely in a prison environment. But I've been taught you create distance from the potential threat, not lean into the potential threat. And I know I, there's probably officers, there, there might be law enforcement out there listening to me, but I'm not, I'm not trying to Monday morning quarterback this situation. I'm just saying it's really odd that he would pull out his gun, lean into the car... And then deliver seven shots into the car with a child in the back seat, with the girlfriend right there in the passenger side. You have to account for every bullet that you fire. I don't agree with the verdict. I, I do not agree with the verdict. And it's because of things like this. It's because of verdicts like this. Like I said, everything needs to be taken on a case-by-case basis. And when the cop comes out in the wrong, you you, you can't try to defend him or her just like the Oklahoma shooting the female cop acquitted on all charges found not guilty you know walks for what you know is it itchy trigger fingers is it bad training me and my buddy from work seem to think that it's bad training and seem to think that the more it goes along and the more we notice it's it's young people and I'm 28 years old. There's people who go straight in the police academy at 20. A lot of the police academies are rushing people through to fill spots. And somewhere along there, there's a shortfall in, in, in training. Training does fall a little bit on the individual. There's a lot that you can do as an individual. There's a lot that I've done within the Department of Corrections. As an individual to train myself to be a better officer because I don't want to overthink or underthink things and I want to be able to react within the means of justification and I don't want to put somebody in a bad situation, myself, uh, an offender, uh, somebody of the public. I don't want to put anybody in a bad position. A lot of it falls on departments though. So it makes me wonder what's happening with this, you know. It also makes me wonder just some basics of, of drawing a weapon out. Are these are these officers drawing a weapon 
and in the heat of the moment, they have their finger on the trigger, and when they go push up into their other arm, are they accidentally discharging? And because they accidentally discharged, they keep firing because they're in the heat of the moment, which doesn't justify it, not in the least. But when stories like this come out, and this is what happens, it's hard to argue against any backlash. It's hard to argue against that because... In cases that seem pretty clear-cut like this one, you gotta pay. You gotta pay. And it it doesn't happen. And you'll notice, I'm not bringing up every single case. Like, I don't... One of the reasons I never really uh, sided with Black Lives Matter, so to speak, is because, you know, uh, when people post the things, they keep posting up names, like, like the Michael Brown shooting, which, you know, the hands up, don't shoot, lie... Yeah, you, when you take things on an individual basis, that means you're not going to incorporate every single case that you find. But even when it, it appears that the cop wasn't justified, and it appears that the situation lied, the, the situation escalated and lied solely in the hands of the officer, and the officer doesn't pay, I can understand where the ire, ire is coming from. I really can. And it's not right. So that's just some some base thoughts on that for you. What what else is is kind of concerning is that you have organizations like the NRA, you have conservatives who aren't coming out, who are pro gun, who aren't coming out and saying what the hell. You had a legal carrying licensed firearm citizen who told the cop at the stop, "Hey, I have a gun on me." And all of a sudden it escalated and he ends up losing his life. Because of it, and you have this dead silence from the NRA, you have this dead silence from a lot of conservative commentators. It's odd, it's a little bizarre that you don't step up in this case and talk about it. It's uncomfortable to talk about for sure, but it needs to be talked about. You can't ignore it, you can't not talk about it. So it's just a little little baffling to me. Odd, mind you, that I speak of this and then write just five minutes ago, on my cell phone, CNN pops up. Philando Castile's family reaches a $3 million settlement with the city of St. Anthony. And in this article as well, Geronimo Yanez is leaving the force after being acquitted. Uh, so the family has reached a settlement, $3 million, and... Yanez will no longer be on the police force, just to keep you updated on that. Odd that my phone would blip that up. Technology's a little weird. It's probably listening to me. Kind of freaky, not so freaky in this world anymore. Now turning the focus on to President Donald Trump. Uh, Of course, now there's reports about him breaking with tradition, foregoing Ramadan dinner. The, the this tradition has been going on since about uh, well, Bill Clinton's time. Uh, Bill Clinton did it. Bush did it. Obama did it. Trump didn't do it. Trump released a statement at the at the uh, closing of Ramadan, stating, "Quote on behalf of the American people, 
Melania and I send our warm greetings to Muslims as they celebrate Eid al-Fitr. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. I'm sorry if I'm not. No disrespect. Um, the dinners have been held, as I said, by uh, Clinton, Bush, Obama. Uh, Trump's statement goes on to state, quote, Muslims in the United States joined those around the world during the holy month of Ramadan to focus on acts of faith and charity, Trump said. During this holiday, we are reminded of the importance of mercy, compassion, and goodwill. With Muslims around the world, the United States renews our commitment to honor these values. Eid Mubarak, which means blessed celebration, and it's only used during the time of the Holy Month. So Donald Trump skips dinner, or breaks tradition albeit a, a shorter tradition. Uh, I think that that is... I think it's grasping at straws to try to draw any conclusions from that. Uh, yes, he has had some rather choice words for the Muslim community. Uh, however, you are talking about a man who toured all over Europe just a couple months ago and... Had a big address at Saudi Arabia, of all places, which I've already criticized. So, you know, there's that. I think that there's too much political politicization there, trying to make attacks against the president. And I just think it's rather... I think it's rather... useless to try to, to, to go that route anymore. Against the president, if you're trying to criticize the president, at least anyway, I think that that is pretty PG. It's pretty PG an attack against the president. Now, one of the more bizarre things about Donald Trump is is just his tweet fests, man. I can't, I, I don't understand how you're president of the United States, you're the busiest man on the face of the earth, and. <laughs> You still have time to get on Twitter and tweet all this ridiculous nonsense. Just the other day, Trump tweeted this. He tweeted, quote, Hillary Clinton colluded with the Democratic Party in order to beat crazy Bernie Sanders. Is she allowed to so collude? Unfair to Bernie. First off, can, can I dissect this just a little bit? Just a little bit. Okay. Hillary Clinton colluded with the Democratic Party in order to beat crazy Bernie Sanders. Right there, Donald Trump is insulting all Democrats, period, the end. Which is, I mean, that's fine. You can. You can. The political parties, both Democratic and Republican, is ridiculous. Both of them are. Both of them are. Hillary Clinton colluded with the Democratic Party in order to beat crazy Bernie Sanders. Okay, first off, this is the man who won the 2016 presidential election. Okay? Sure, he didn't get the popular vote, which apparently, according to an article that I just read, Nancy Pelosi said his first meeting with her, he insisted that he won the popular vote. Okay, he didn't win the popular vote. Whatever. We all know that the popular vote isn't how it works. It's the Electoral College. Whether or not that's right is a different debate. So Donald Trump won the 2016 election, and yet he is the most butt-hurt winner I have ever witnessed, ever. 
He keeps going back to this, and I don't understand why. Once you went, just drop it, dude. You want, you're the president of the United States. Why do you keep going back to the election? Now, mind you, Hillary Clinton did kind of collude with the Democratic Party. I mean, we we, we kind of exposed that this year uh, uh, better than any election year ever. You would find out, like, super delicates, very crooked system there. Uh, there, th- there was very much a favoritism within the party, but that's how that's how political parties work. It's about the favoritism. It's about who the party likes, who the hotshots like. We just exposed that the Democratic Party has this system of super delegates, which we found, I found through various means, and we discussed on this program long ago that the person that was on tap to create the superdelegate system pretty much revealed why it was created so that the party could have an in of influencing their primaries. We get that. Okay, and the other thing was that Bernie Sanders uh, garnered attention of a lot of outsiders, a lot of moderates, and a lot of people who are okay with more socialistic views. Okay, it's just that De- that Bernie Sanders came up and called it democratic socialism, which is a made-up phrase. Absolutely, it's a made-up phrase. But we're not even going to argue that right now. So Trump says that about Clinton, which, yes, she did collude with the Democratic Party. But in order to beat crazy Bernie Sanders, so now, not only is he taking pot shots at Clinton, he's taking pot shots at, at Bernie. And then he says it's unfair to Bernie. But you just called him crazy. You just called him crazy pants Bernie. So what would you care if it was unfair to the crazy man for? As if you would have performed better against Bernie Sanders. I would argue that the numbers probably would have delved a little more Bernie Sanders way if he ran against Trump. Not at the level that everybody says. Everybody says it would have been like a landslide wipe because everybody loves Bernie Sanders. Not true. Not everybody likes Bernie Sanders. Not everybody likes that approach. Not everybody likes that phrase, democratic socialism. Not everybody. But he would have fared a lot better than Hillary Clinton. He probably would have grabbed another, you know, two million votes. Probably would have squeaked by on the Electoral College and beat Donald Trump. Oh, my God. I just said blasphemy. A ton of people just turned off my podcast and aren't listening anymore. Facts, people. I just believe that that is a fact. So what was the point in the tweet? Why does he keep going back to this? Why, why? He is the most butthurt winner ever. And I still argue. I still argue that he didn't expect to win. I don't think he expected to win. I really don't. Here's, here's his tweets from this morning. Quote, the Democrats have become, become nothing but obstructionists. They have no policies or ideas. All they do is delay and complain. They own Obamacare. The smart thing would have been to let Obamacare sit, do nothing with it, and let it fail then. Because then you could have just pinned it on the Democrats, but now you can't. Sorry. I hope I'm not toying with people's emotions. Uh, Another one. Quote, The reason that President Obama did nothing about Russia after being notified by the CIA of meddling is that he expected Clinton would win. 
that's possible. I mean, it was, whether you like it or not, all this Russia colluding stuff that we're trying to pin on Donald Trump, it happened under Barack Obama's administration. So, still grasping at straws there, pal. Oh, here's another one. Um, oh, it's continued. Quote, and did not want to, quote, rock the boat. He didn't choke. He colluded or obstructed, and it did the Dems and crooked Hillary no good. Okay, now you're really grasping at straws. Uh, here's another one. Quote, the real story is that President Obama did nothing after being informed in August about Russia, me- Russia meddling. With four months looking at Russia, under a magnifying glass, they have zero tapes of Trump people colluding. There is no collusion and no obstruction. I should be given apology. I should be given apology. I should be given apology. And then just four minutes ago, Republican senators are working very hard to get there with no help from the Democrats. Not easy. Perhaps just let O'Care crash and burn. Okay, again, we talked. We, we said, you could have done that, but you didn't. And now you're trying to get the GOP to put something up there and own it so that you could say you did something. But then you have people like Rand Paul fighting against it because they know that the bill is trash. That's right. They know it's garbage. They know it's bad. They know it is an extension of Obamacare that doesn't focus on the main issues or the problems that the healthcare market is facing. And that's part of the big debate of the healthcare thing. It goes back, and we've talked about it a million times. There are waves of people who believe that healthcare is a fundamental human right. There are people who believe that the government should provide and see to your healthcare. And then there's people who believe that healthcare is a service. And that no matter what we try to do on a socialized level whether it's a, the idea of a single-payer healthcare system or socialized uh, healthcare or, or what have you, there's some people that believe that you, whether you like it or not, you're not going to be able to strike at it. And I, I've argued that too. I've argued that it's hard to determine healthcare right now because the system is set up to, to benefit insurance companies. Absolutely, it's set up to benefit insurance companies. There's, uh, here's the thing. I go to the doctor. Okay, If I go to the doctor, if my wife goes to the doctor, and me and my wife are going through this right now, uh, we go to the doctor. We don't know actually what anything costs. We just get a, like this little markup from the health insurance company that states what's been covered and what we actually owe up front, which you know, usually is what I, usually it's a copay or, or a deposit or something. But aside from that, I don't actually know how much anything costs. Nobody actually knows the cost of anything. And here in Delaware, it's even worse. I mean, I I don't even know. I don't want to look at how many hundreds of dollars I spend per month into my health care. For a guy that doesn't, I mean, for a healthy young man who doesn't really go to the doctor except when I'm sick and I know it's not the common cold. Or something along those lines. Uh, And in terms of anything else with my health insurance, I mean, I'd rather there just be, I'd rather I just have a a catastrophic health insurance that I paid so that, you know, God forbid the day I go into the doctor and they tell me that it's something severe going on in me or they discover something severe, 
that I have some catastrophic health insurance that will cover it. But everything else, like if I'm going to the doctor because I have the sniffles, I should be able to go into my doctor's office and pay a rate that my doctor's offering for a normalized checkup or a diagnosis. But that's not that's not the way the healthcare works. That's not the way the healthcare works. And that's why we're entangled in this huge debate about it. Absolutely. So, it's been 48 minutes. It's been like a full-fledged firing of the Fritzcast, like like it should be. And it felt good to come back after a, a, a little switch up in my schedule. To come back here and give you a full-fledged firing. Hopefully informative, maybe a little bit funny, I don't know. I can tell you one thing, though. I'm getting ready to ride my bike for about five miles and see how I feel after that. Maybe do a little more exercising. And then I might just lay, laser, laser around about the house. But I want to thank you guys for listening, as always. I want you to... Well, you know what? Hold on. We need outplay music. This doesn't work without outplay music. Is it outplay music? I don't... Is it outplay, play, play to, to play us out? Sure. There's no words there. To play us out. What does that mean? To play us out. It's, it's Sting is going to do... It's a video. Sting video. What is for credits? I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is a. Okay. In five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a. I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Fucking thing sucks! Thank you, Mr. O'Reilly. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, like this, share this, comment on it, uh, do your thing on social media. Be sure to check out fritzcast.wordpress.com for some more articles coming up. The last one I wrote was very nerdy and about Star Wars in this day and age, the the new wave of Star Wars. Some more will be coming up this week. That's fritzcast.wordpress.com. If you want to contact me, it's at fritzqs on the Twitter, facebook.com slash thefritzcast, and fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, love you, and I'll see you next week.